Hi, everyone. I'm Raj Kumar, president and editor-in-chief of DevX. This week, we'll be breaking down the big headlines in global development and bringing in some top experts to help us do it. If you want to follow along with the stories we're talking about, check out devx.com and subscribe to our daily newsletter, The Newswire. There's a link in the description. Follow us along on Twitter, and you can see many of the stories we're talking about today. And we'd love to hear what you think. This is This Week in Global Development. You know, it's getting to be summer, and you might think the news is going to slow down. But boy, it has been a busy last several days, not least uh, for those of us here in D.C. And I think all the speakers on today's call are in D.C., uh, looking at our window at the hazy smoke from the Canadian wildfires and being reminded of, of climate change, which is certainly one of the topics we'll get into today. Let me just welcome the, the two uh, people I have to join me today on this call. Um, Anna Gowell, you all know her as our managing editor at DevX. Great to, to be with you once again on this call, Anna. Great to be here. Thanks. And then my friend George Ingram is with us. Uh, such an honor to have you, George. You know, George wears many hats, but he uh, is a senior fellow at the Global Economy and Development uh, and the Center for Sustainable Development uh, over at the Brookings Institute. And, you know, he's the chairman emeritus at USGLC, which he helped to set up the, the U.S. Center for Global Leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he is, George, you're right at the center of a lot of what happens in this town. Um, and I would just love to get your take on some of the news this week as well. And we've got a great audience that's going to listen in and, uh, to, to this discussion, too. So maybe we could just begin, since we have you here, George, um, with PEPFAR and, and what's gone on this week. But I'll get us started then on PEPFAR, which is that really it feels like out of the blue, a, a major campaign against the reauthorization of what is you know, the largest foreign aid program in the world today um, has just sparked up. And DevX has been reporting on it all week. You know, it started with a story we did where we heard there were some uh, anti-abortion groups that were lobbying and pushing in Congress to, to say, hey, listen, PEPFAR is actually being used to promote abortion and therefore you shouldn't support its reauthorization. Um, and then we got a hold of this, this member, a dear, a dear member's letter from a member of Congress, Chris Smith, really making the same points. It's a big surprise um, to a lot of people on the Hill and people in this community. And, and it sure feels like there's an active campaign underway to undermine the chances of reauthorization of PEPFAR. Um, and I'd love to bring you into the discussion, too, while we wait for George. You know, what's your what's your thought on on this story? Well, like you said, it seemed to have come out of the blue and supporters of PEPFAR were hoping for a, a clean five year reauthorization. And this has now put that into jeopardy. So it's uh, quite a big deal. I mean, PEPFAR has saved uh, reportedly 25 million lives since it was founded two decades ago. Um, there's a lot of controversy. A lot of the 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 groups that have been named in some of the letter in in the letter, um, we've spoken to them and and they deny that any funding goes to abortions overseas. They point out that they follow all the laws, um, local laws as well as our own law, which is that uh, foreign aid does not go to to funding abortions. So some of these groups have 
dual purposes, if you will, but that seems to be being conflated into the debate here in the U.S. and kind of a uh, conservative uh, backlash against President Biden's supposedly progressive priorities. So, so the argument here is that this is really more of a reflection of the opposition to the Biden administration than anything of what PEPFAR, in fact, does abroad. Um, you know, and but but it's growing. We, uh, Itva, our reporter, she reported recently that Chris Smith, a New Jersey Republican, has now signed on to this letter. And that's a big deal because he formerly was a champion of PEPFAR. Um, so there seems to be a lot of misinformation going on, but it doesn't seem like this campaign is going to die down. And so, again, it could be a real threat to the reauthorization that a lot of people had hoped would would smoothly go through. And if it doesn't, we all know how Congress is. Um, this could open up a Pandora's box of a debate. That's right. I mean, some, some of the details here around what we reported, there is um, a letter uh, signed by uh, 31 conservative and anti-abortion groups that was sent to Republican lawmakers. So, you know, very influential groups pushing um, some of their supporters in Congress to say, that PEPFAR funds are, quote, being used by non-governmental organizations that promote abortions and push a radical gender ideology abroad, end quote. So clearly trying to pull PEPFAR into some of the culture wars that we're also familiar with and that are so highly politicized in the United States. And just to give you a sense of the scale here, for those who are less familiar, the Marshall Plan, you know, the famous Marshall Plan uh, for the reconstruction of Europe after World War II, in today's dollars would be something like $150 billion. Well, PEPFAR has spent so far $100 billion. Uh, so it's on track to become larger than even the Marshall Plan was, and it has been one of the most impactful you know, success stories in the development space, um, saving literally millions of lives in sub-Saharan Africa and is a, a legacy of a Republican administration, the George W. Bush administration. Uh, but we've now seen this letter, as I mentioned, signed by 31 groups uh, here in the United States, and then another letter signed by 100 African members of parliament and religious leaders as well um, that was sent to lawmakers in the United States just uh, a couple of days ago. And you mentioned, Anna, Chris Smith. Um, People were really surprised. People I talked to were really surprised to see a letter from him. They thought he would be kind of a steadfast supporter and wouldn't wouldn't be on the side of uh, asking these kinds of questions, raising these kinds of highly politicized questions, but he did. Um, I think we have George Ingram with us now. Uh, George, I was singing your praises earlier. Sorry, I know it took you a second to get on, but, but uh, I'd love to hear your take on, I think, one of the biggest stories of the week, which is PEPFAR, and, and this kind of, at least seeming to me, a surprise uh, attack coming from uh, an anti-abortion wing of the Republican Party. What's your take on, on what's happening? This group of Republicans pushing a position for which they are providing no evidence that anything that they're alleging happens actually happened. My guess and my hope, actually my hope has been for several months, that what we're going to see in the appropriations process this year is a CR, a, conti- a long-term continuing resolution. And I'm hoping that in that environment that something like this sort of gets pushed to the side and so PEPFAR gets reauthorized. 
George, you were you were in Congress as a staff uh, senior staff member for two decades. Um, can you just explain to us how this process works? So, if we have a CR, do we not need the reauthorization of PEPFAR, or do those two things have to both happen? So, basically, the appropriators pick up the responsibility of the authorizing committee and continue programs whose authorizations have not been uh, continued, because too often the authorization legislation gets complicated through a lot of complicated politics like this most recent one on PEPFAR. And the appropriators seem to have been more successful over the years to get beyond the, polit- the, the, the micro politics of particular issues and focus on the bigger picture. Yeah, I guess we saw a lot of that during the Trump administration, right, where we had a divided government, you couldn't get to a, a unified budget. So you just had a continuing resolution, which basically took the prior year's budget and continued it. And as you're saying, even for programs that needed reauthorization, they would just temporarily reauthorize them. Right. So may, maybe there's a chance this time, you think that could happen here? Uh, that's my guess. I think that's the most hopeful scenario at this point, that people back off trying to have a, an authorization bill to authorize PEPFAR. Let that sort of cool down a little bit. And when we get to the fall and the winter, when there's a CR, have it extended then. Do you think the Biden administration, you know, fell in a trap here or did anything, you know, looking in hindsight that they shouldn't have done? Did they kind of give ammunition, even though I know you're saying and the people we've talked to are saying there's no truth to these accusations. They're kind of like you read Christmas letter. He's saying, you know, if you if you read the president's um, language around reproductive rights, and you read into that, and then you look at what PEPFAR's reauthorization is saying. They talk about reproductive rights, so therefore they must be funding these things. Uh, you know, it feels very circumstantial. But do you think the, the Biden administration kind of did anything they shouldn't have done here? Uh, not that occurs to me. Um, yeah, I don't see what they could have done differently to have not allowed this to come to the fore. Yeah, it feels like a, a different set of politics, right? Um, Politics almost within the Republican Party. It's, it's politics uh, within the Republican Party, and it's it's the extremists that are are driving the train right now. Well, you know, let, let's hope that something productive comes out of this. You know, Pepfar, you were there. I was there at the USGLC dinner. Uh, Anna was there too. Um, got it. It wasn't long ago, a couple of months ago, I guess, where we were celebrating the twentieth anniversary of Pepfar. And George W. Bush was there. And, you know, it was very bipartisan. Mitch McConnell, you know, gave one of the speeches and everybody stood up and clapped, which, you know, in this town and in this country, it's very rare to have that kind of unity around an issue. But it sure seemed like we had that for PEPFAR. I mean, this feels pretty surprising. It almost feels like an organized campaign that that was being developed in the background has just popped to the surface. So our reporting which uh, says over 80% of members of Congress weren't in office when PEPFAR was introduced. So part of the challenge will just be educating, I think, this very large new generation of Congress members um, who aren't familiar with it whatsoever. Right. And that's what USGLC, where George, your, your chairman emeritus, what you helped set up, that's what you all have been doing for so long. And that, that big dinner uh, where Liz interviewed George W. Bush was all kind of part of that. 
making that case. And it sure, I walked out of that evening thinking, of course, PEPFAR is going to get reauthorized. I mean, there's so much bipartisan goodwill around it. But then to see uh, to see this campaign is really pretty shocking, pretty surprising in some ways to me anyway. Um, and let's let's see where it takes us. Hi, I'm Kate Warren, executive editor at DevEx. If you are listening to this podcast, you're likely working to achieve the sustainable development goals. But are you subscribed to DevEx Newswire? Global development can be a fast moving, complex sector. Our team of global reporters work every day to bring you the news you need to make sense of it all. In DevEx Newswire, we keep you up to date on issues ranging from climate change financing to gender equality and global health to transforming the food system, all in a fun-to-read free newsletter delivered directly to you five days a week. Join the hundreds of thousands of global development professionals who receive DevEx Newswire and visit devex.com newsletters to sign up to this free newsletter today. Maybe we can move on to one of the other big stories of the week, which is um, we've got a new president of the World Bank, uh, Ajay Banga, who, you know, there's been a transition over a couple of months. I mean, he's even been seen by me and others walking the halls of the World Bank. He's been there uh, in this period I call like the two popes for the last couple of months as David Malpass was moving on. And uh, he is now officially and formally in the chair. And it's uh, potentially going to mark a big new era for the World Bank. I'm curious if... Uh, if either of you have have a take on that, we've done some reporting on it this week. Yeah, I think um, I mean, this this is a plus. Given his background, first of all, he's an American citizen, but he's a non-American. He's an Indian. So that's a signal, I think, to the developing world about who is leading the World Bank. He comes from an incredibly successful career leading a large organization in just as many countries as the World Bank. So he's used to having to lead an organization that has multiple tentacles and bringing it together to some coherence. And I like the fact that he started off in a, with a degree of humility. He's starting to listen to the people there and is not coming on with his own agenda. On the other hand, the the stakeholders, the board members of the World Bank are putting a large agenda on him because there's a call for the World Bank to be a much bigger player in providing not just public finance, but private finance and in doubling and tripling the size of the bank. So he's got a major task at hand. And to accomplish that, he's got to win the allegiance and the respect of the World Bank staff. And I think he's doing that in the right way of starting to listen to him. Yeah, he, um, you're right that he's come in with a very humble approach and he's listening. But he has laid out a couple of things that we reported on this week that definitely show it's a new era. I mean, for one thing, you know, when you walk in the World Bank lobby, they have that big sign that says, our dream is a world free from poverty. And he laid out his vision. He said, it's to create a world free from poverty. But then he added, on a livable planet. So all these calls for the World Bank to become kind of a climate bank, um, it seems like he has to some degree already said right from the start, yeah, I'm going to heed those calls. And then he he also laid out that 
we're not going to be judged on the amount of money lent or the number of projects approved, but on the amount of private sector money mobilized, to your point, George. So he, he is, although he is coming in humble and listening, it's pretty clear it's going to be a different era. Whether or not he succeeds is another question, but he, he's got a different vision. And I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, I also loved when he said this was before he formally took up the post of, I don't have a magic wand. And I think that's a good caveat that he said. Um, but yeah, you know, our story, I think the headline was spot on of great expectations. Um, and how do you address climate change and poverty reduction? And he's made it a point to say that you can do both. You know, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, but he hasn't gotten into specifics. Um, it does seem like it will be a while uh, before that comes out, but I, you know, obviously could be wrong. But it does seem like there won't be any major staff shakeups or anything like that. Um, you know, his predecessor, David Malpass, seems to have left a workforce with pretty decent, uh, strong morale from our reporting. So it really is an issue of, though, how can he manage these expectations? And he managed them very well, you know, for for all intents and purposes, uh, when he was head of MasterCard. And so will he bring in that private sector perspective? Uh, I suspect he will. The, the morale is pretty high, although, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lot depends on whether he decides to really enforce a return to the office policy, um, which apparently he was involved in, according to our reporting, and you know is certainly a controversial thing for people who work at the World Bank, just like in so many other institutions. Of course, he comes from the private sector, and you can see many of the biggest companies in the world have already started pushing their workers back three days a week and having stricter policies around that. Uh, that may be an early test for, for the morale at the bank, how, how strict he decides to be on that point. Um, you know, speaking of, of not having a lot of detail, it's early in, in Bunga's tenure now. Um, we did get our hands, our reporter Vince Chadwick got his hands on an early draft of what might come out of the Macron Summit, which is coming up on the 22nd and 23rd of this month. And, you know, we reported that it seems pretty thin on details at this stage. And anything you want to you add to that? Well, it's, it's thin on details, but very big on, on ambition. Um, he certainly cast a very wide net. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, the aim is, is nothing less than to kind of forge a, a post-World War II financial compact, and that's what it's called, with, between wealthy nations and, and the global south. So the issues that they're going to tackle... Um, you know, climate finance commitments, uh, debt relief, um, you know, mobilizing private investment, investing in green technologies. So it's really a, a laundry list of, you know, I wouldn't say priorities because it's so spread out. So I think the question will be, is it, is it too much? And are there really going to be deliverables at the end? Um, this uh, draft that Vince uh, got a hold of um you know, remember, just the basic draft, there's still no word if there will be a declaration at the end of the summit, because obviously that's a very onerous process. So um, I talked with Vince today, and there's a possibility there could be just kind of a French communique of, we'll look into it, um, because it might be difficult to really galvanize uh, universal support for anything concrete. And I think it's important to, to note that 
in addition to the French, um, this is being co-hosted by India, but Prime Minister Modi is not scheduled to attend. And that, you know, I think is kind of a big blow to the prestige of this. Um, and it's not a great sign, but, you know, of course, we'll see what ultimately happens. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, one of the reasons Modi may not attend is he's going to be in Washington, D.C. on the very same day um, and meeting with President Biden. And, um, you know, if all roads lead to the World Bank, you know, Modi is president of the G20 now and involved in this Macron summit, meeting with Biden, you know, maybe they'll, it will help push some momentum behind the idea of, of a, a major World Bank reform. Now maybe we move on to, uh, to another topic of the day or of the week. It's been, like I said, a busy one. Uh, we had a, a really big two-month-long investigation. So let's move on to the investigation. Maybe you could just tell people, Anna, a little bit about it. Um, what's the investigation that we did? What did it show? And uh, we'll discuss a bit. Sure. Um, so there's a lot to to unpack. Um, well, it kind of deals with this uh, web of entanglements, if you will, with Dr. Jean Kaseya. He is a Congolese medical doctor who is the new head of Africa CDC and his former employee employer, the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Um, he has taken Chai to labor court in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and that was done in about early February. Then on February 19th, he was appointed to the post of heading up Africa CDC, very prestigious posting. Um, only nine days later, there is an office uh, visit that's been disputed by both sides, uh, according to an incident report that DevEx obtained, um, Dr. Kaseya uh, barged into Chai's offices in the DRC, um, supposedly accompanied by an armed bodyguard and, and berated staff for not giving him a farewell party, among other things. Again, this is according to an incident report. Dr. Kaseya strongly denies uh, this characterization of his visit. Uh, saying it was largely cordial. Um, but the reporting is not just on the visit. There's also the matter of uh, there are two Chai employees who are currently detained in the DRC. Uh, they've been detained now for over two months. And according to Dr. Kaseya, who's been involved in, in some of the discussions um, around the detainees, the Congolese authorities arrested them for allegedly lying about the whereabouts of a Rwandan colleague who's suspected, suspected of engaging in, quote, unquote, suspicious activities. So um, Dr. Kinsaya has been involved. He said he was he's become involved because he was asked by a Chai board member and because one of the detained individuals is a childhood friend uh, whom he recruited to work for Chai. Uh, now, this is the same individual he allegedly confronted about the farewell party um, in the office. So there are a lot of strands to follow. Uh, I could spend the rest of the this Twitter space and another 30 minutes going over it, but really would encourage everybody to read Sarah Gerving's uh, report. It's a real interesting deep dive. It, it really is. I mean, it's pretty eye-opening. And uh, as we say in the story, it just raises a lot of questions. You know, people... Um, in the global health community, don't really know Dr. John Kaseya very well. I certainly hadn't heard of him. And as I asked around to other leaders in the space, uh, he was just not a familiar name. And you know, here we have this you know, in-depth report that, that asks a lot of questions about who he is and, and what his temperament is like. And so I, I think now the question is going to be, 
what are the, the big supporters of Africa CDC, which has played such a key role during the pandemic and has now been elevated to be a more important independent agency of the African Union? Um, what are those supporters? Groups like, you know, the U.S. government um, and the World Bank and others. What do they think of the institution now? And what questions will they raise? And so it's, I think this is probably the beginning of a story as we all get to better understand who the new leader is of the Africa CDC um, and see how this, uh, this complex web of entanglements actually gets resolved. I thought it's worth mentioning just across the pond, um, you know, some news that our own uh, Rob Merrick has, has broken this week. Uh, Rob is our new correspondent in the UK and obviously a long time uh, journalist well-known to, to maybe the British audience following along. Um, Rob uh, reported that, that Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party there in the UK, may have been backing away a bit from the promise to recreate DFID. In other words, to, to unmerge the merged uh, FCDO. Uh, and uh, that caused a little bit of a firestorm. And then we heard from Sarah Champion, who chairs the kind of aid oversight group uh, as a member of parliament, coming out and saying, no way, you know, if labor takes over, we need to go back to having a separate independent agency like DFID. So it's kind of a, an interesting little firestorm that's been created, I think, this week and that we've been on top of. I don't know if you have any thoughts about it, Anna, that you'd like to share. Yeah, I think when uh, when the labor leader dismissed this, this notion effectively, although he kind of couched it that it would still be an independent type agency, I think, you know, some people think akin to, to USAID, um, but it was a big, big blow. Um, uh, you know, there's been just this steady erosion of, the UK's prestige as a global donor. Uh, we've gone from, or they've gone from 0.7% uh, of GNI uh, now to 0.5%. And there's a lot of controversy going on in terms of how even that 0.5% is being spent because quite a bit of it is being spent on in-house costs to uh, to house refu Ukrainian refugees largely. Um, and so this is definitely going to be some blowback because uh, Starmer also previously, I believe it was last July, pledged effectively that that DFID would be restored. So there's clearly some different definitions of what restored means. And it'll be interesting to see how much continued blowback he gets from the aid, not only the aid community, but from within his own party. Yeah, that's right. And um, um, because to me, part of what this suggests the kind of the meta story here that we've been covering for so long and that everybody in the global development space is so familiar with is this kind of push and pull between the growing needs, whether it's humanitarian needs or needs around climate mitigation and adaptation, these growing needs on the one hand and the kind of worsening political environment in donor countries. And you're certainly seeing that in the UK with this possible pullback even from the Labour Party. Um, although, yeah, it's very much an active and live question. Uh, you certainly see that with maybe the challenges around the Macron financing summit, being able to come up with something really tangible. Uh, and you see it around this PEPFAR controversy. And so it, it, what it does mean, I think, is all eyes are on the World Bank because it's one of those places where it feels like there's some untapped potential without additional funds and if they can show progress, maybe they can get additional funds and go even further. So, um, you know, this is a really 
a really challenging moment. And that's why there's so many hopes and dreams and, and great expectations, as you said, Anna, pinned on Ajay Vanga. Uh, and maybe we, maybe we, um, we will, we will certainly follow those stories very closely going forward. And maybe we leave it there today. This has been This Week in Global Development. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe using the link in the description. To get even more coverage and analysis on the most pressing development issues of the day, become a DevX Pro member by going to devx.com membership and signing up. Thank you for listening and see you next week.